Episode 85 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. I am Jason Collette, joined once again by Eno Saris. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. I guess the Hall of Fame, but let's not talk about that. Yeah, let's please not. Uh, the other the other mess right now is episode 84. The audio, we know the inline player. Uh, when you go to the, pre- the Rotographs site and, and try to pr- play it that way, we know that's having some audio issues. We're not sure why. We're working on it right now. But if you click on the download link that's on that, it should right open the MP3 file up, and that plays perfectly. So hopefully episode 85 plays better than 84 did, so apologize for that. We also apologize for our inability to organize teams in alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> we said we're doing it in alphabetical order. We went from Angels to Athletics and kind of passed over the Astros. So we will be doing the Astros today and the Blue Jays uh, in the preview. So with that, let's jump right into the Astros, who uh, should almost assuredly be better than they were in 2013. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, 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 yes. Just because there's no way to nowhere to go but up. Yeah, and I, I actually like, you know, this is my childhood team. I grew up in Houston. This is the team uh, that I grew up with. I still follow them. I actually like what they've done in the off season and adding some arms, adding some different pieces, but. You know, right now, from a fantasy perspective, I think last season, Jonathan VR made a lot of noise, especially with the stolen bases, uh, some of them kind of uh, entertaining. Uh, But he made a big splash last year in the second half of the season coming up and stealing all those bases. What are your thoughts on him? I actually like him. Um, You know, he was one of uh, Carson's uh, sort of favorite players. you know, fringe guys. He always he always identifies these fringe prospects, and so he he liked him in Pittsburgh, um, and obviously the Astros kind of liked him because they they went and got him. Um, so uh, you know, I I actually have him in um, in a score sheet, a pretty deep score sheet league, and I think in deeper leagues there's uh, some usefulness to him. Especially there's a little bit of uh, defensive value in him. I know it didn't show up last year, but um, you know, if he's not playing center, I think he'll he'll show good glove. And uh, you know, the one thing that disappoints me is that uh, he was he's never been a really great base stealer, and last year he got caught more often than he was successful. Um, and that's a little bit important because his his power is either you know sort of league average or worse maybe. So he's he's not uh, he's obviously not a perfect player, but uh, there's some stuff to like. Indeed. I mean, what concerns me is that his on-base percentage is higher than his slugging percentage, and that's always a, a scary thing to look at. But when you – his stolen base, when I'm looking at 18 for – he was 18 of 26 last year at the major league level, 31 of 38 in the minor league level. So 49 of uh, 49 steals and 65 attempts overall last year. So that's sweet, but – can pretty much knock the bat out of his hand. He's going to be a two-category guy. I don't see how he can hit for average with the swing and miss in his game. So he's still on oh, base dude, and runs. Dude, dude. <laughs> Sorry, I was talking about Grossman. There you go. Some of that same <laughs> stuff applies, but... <laughs> well, you know what? Actually, any Astro is flawed. <laughs> Let's just start from there. <laughs> um, no, oh, yeah. I mean, the, my question to you is, what do you think Villar's uh, strikeout rate is going to be this year? Uh, you know, last year... When we look at it, he was 30% last year, and you expect that. When you come up, when you, you're your first time in the major league level, you expect guys to sink or swim like that. He definitely sank with a strikeout rate, but that was pretty much in line with where it was in, in the minor leagues. He's always been a, a, a 23 to mid to upper 20 strikeout rate guy, and that's going to have to get better. I don't know how, how long, even the Astros, I don't know how long you can carry a guy striking out 30% of the time that's hitting with absolutely no power. We saw that kind of strikeout rate. I'm thinking back uh, when Everett Cabrera, when he was the Rule 5 pick, was with the Padres. But he had a pretty decent contract uh, contact rate down in the minor leagues, but he came up to the major leagues. Uh, obviously wasn't ready for it, but he had that strikeout rate. But then it's recovered since then. He's been better. So I would uh, hold out some hope with uh, VR, but there's not a great track record for it. 
Yeah, and the, the whole thing with Cabrera is that there's a biogenesis situation there, too. So, you know, you may don't really know why necessarily the, the strikeout rate got better. But, um, yeah, VR's uh, minor league track record, I mean, the best strikeout rate he had um, at you know in the high minors was 23% uh, at AA. So, and that's what's I, repeating. He was repeating AA at the time. Yeah. Yeah, so I I, uh, I don't think that we're necessarily going to see much improvement. Um, it's kind of funny because Oliver says it's going to get worse and he's going to be 34%, and Steamer says uh, he'll get a little better and be 25%. Um, you know, I, either way, I guess uh, the the thing is you, we won't own him for uh, his batting average because of that, and you won't own him for power. Um, you know, so you're talking about, uh, you know, do you think that he can steal? You know, he was on pace for – you know, 40 something steals basically last year. Um, maybe, yeah, we may register around 40 and, um, you know, if he steals 40 bases and hits 240, he'll probably be above replacement in terms of fantasy value, but it is the kind of package that makes it difficult for the rest of your team. I mean, if you're in, if you're in head to head and you're punting batting average, which actually is a great strategy, I think. Um, and, and it can actually, I think it can work in like a labor situation, like a very deep only league. Um, you can actually punt, but for the most part, I'd try not to punt any stats in a roto league because, you know, that's just points you're not going to get, you know, Agreed. And, and, you know, head to head, it's like, okay, I'm going to give away this one thing and I'm going to get a definite advantage to win these weekly categories. But I, in roto, I, I'm not as big a fan of punting and, and he's the kind of guy that'll, that'll push you towards punt, uh, towards punting, especially since they're not those same guys. Uh, I mean, there's Joey Votto, but, you know, there's not a lot of guys that come to mind to me that I'm like, okay, I'm going to pencil that guy into like a 320 batting average this year. Um, so th- there's, it's hard to pair VR with somebody and be like, okay, between VR and Joey Votto, I'll have like a 280 batting average, you know, you know, 35 homers and 55 steals. Yeah, agreed. He's just a risk, not the type of player that I would like. I, I could tell you if I'm an AL Tout, in AL Tout Wars, if I end up with him on my team as my starting shortstop, I'm going to be really pissed off at myself. Uh, I don't want to get to that point. I just don't like counting on those players that have that kind of volatility rate uh, within them. Uh, let's talk about Robbie Grossman since we you thought we were talking about him a minute ago. Uh, so <laughs> to rehash, yes, he did get caught stealing more times than uh, he was successful. He's a weird guy in that when he first came up, he was extremely patient. I'm looking at his first and second half splits. First half, 12% walk rate, 24% strikeout rate, but he only hit a buck 98 with a 553 OPS. Second half, strikeout rate was the same. Walk rate went down 66. We went from 12 to 5, but hit 322 with an 816 OPS. So he had a lot of Babbitt fortune there. All the other skills, he, he just basically became more aggressive. If you look at his first half swing rate, 37%. Second half, 44%. It just it was a matter of him becoming more aggressive and hitting. He's a, he's a local kid. He went to the same high school as Scott Casper down there. Uh, what are your thoughts about Grossman? Yeah, I, I think that was probably something that just he had to do because, um, you know, obviously he's been extremely patient in the minor leagues. Uh, he had walk rates as high as 17% in a full year. Yes. Um, so I, I, I think that uh, that obviously is a little bit easier to do in high A like he did. Um, and so I think that when he came to the bigs, they probably uh, like sort of targeted him as a guy who wasn't going to swing and probably got a lot of edge strikes and, and, and kind of put him in bad situations. And then he was swinging at bad balls late in counts. So, I think that the aggression probably, I mean, something like that, I think it had to have come from his coaching staff and they had to say, you know what, we like that, we like that you're patient, but you gotta, you gotta get aggressive and, and, and keep them from having a book on you that they can sort of use. Uh, so I, I do think that his walk rate will go up as he understands which ones to hit and which ones not to hit. And in his history, uh, obviously his strikeout rate went up, um, as he kind of went through the minors, but, it also got better when he repeated at levels, so uh, for the most part. So I, I feel like, um, you know, another year uh, will – I do agree with the sort of steamer approach, which is that his walk rate will get better and his strikeout rate will get worse. Um, you know, as for his, his batting average on balls in play, he's, he had really high ba- uh, BABIPs in the minors. Um, 
And he does have a decent uh, batted ball split for uh, Knicks for, for having a high batter. He, he didn't hit any pop-ups. Uh, he hits more grounders and flies, and he had speed and a little bit of power. So he is the kind of guy that maybe, uh, you know, we, we don't know this until at least two or three years into a career, but maybe he's the kind of guy that we could pencil into like a 320 Babbitt, and that might make him a 260 hitter. And uh, then you might get a full-time uh, line out of him, and you got a 260 hitter with maybe 10 homers and 20 stolen bases. It's not the kind of package that uh, mixed leaguers will be reaching for. But um, anywhere deeper than that, I think he starts becoming. And I think even in a you know say like a 14-team league with uh, with five outfielders, I think you know I'd be looking at him as a bench slot. I agree with all that. And you know, as we talk about the Astros, quite honestly. You know, Dexter Fowler, Altuve, Castro, and maybe Chris Carter are the only guys I would even consider in a mixed league. Most of what we're going to talk about here is pretty much going to be AL only league. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, VR. You know, you know, Carter. You know, the, the, you know, a lot of these guys are, are punt batting average guys too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that almost uh, that might be something about what's going on with the team there. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, and on base percentage, obviously. So I, I, uh, I struggle. I mean, obviously Altuve and then, and then almost nobody uh, on this team anywhere. Uh, Fowler, Fowler even. I think Fowler and Grossman are – Fowler is probably a fifth outfielder in a mixed league. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Grossman's probably a sixth or seventh outfielder in a mixed league. Yeah, it's going to be uh, – Fowler's the one that really uh, interests me because of getting out of course. We know what his home run splits were, so it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out for him there. Uh, let's get into the infield, the first base situation. Uh, it's ugly. Right now it's Brett Wallace, and it's the recently acquired Jesus Guzman, and then it is the giant Amador. I mean, gigantic Amador. Uh, <laughs> I saw he's coming to camp. If you look at the numbers, though, you know they've got a decent platoon in Wallace and Guzman. Guzman really hits lefties well, and, and Wallace handles his own against righties. Uh, for what you're spending, there's decent production there. I guess Amador would have a chance to earn a role. Uh, but how do you think that shakes out, and are you willing to touch it even in an AL-only league? Well, the problem with uh, platoons is they're just so crappy for, for you know, especially if you're a, a, a weekly lineup league, and they just, just suck plate appearances away from, from either side. And you're just left with two players that are, you know, almost useless. Um, so, I you know, I'm saying this as a Brett Wallace owner from last year um, in AL Labor. Not that, you know, he was the reason my team fell apart. There was lots of reasons for that. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't see much hope in Brett Wallace's numbers. His strikeout rate just keeps getting worse and worse. His walk rate isn't getting any better. Uh, you know, last year was the first year he finally showed some power, but, um, you know, it just came with the, the worst strikeout. I mean, it came with the kind of strikeout rate that has you out of baseball and that 36, 37% strikeout rate, you know, is, is very close to being out of baseball. So, um, you know, I think, frankly, the, the steamer projection of a 250 batting average and 21 homers for for Wallace is is sort of wildly optimistic. Um, so I, I don't uh, I don't want to touch any of it. Uh, Jeff at Amador is I want him to make it because he's so huge and amazing. <laughs> uh, and I mean, obviously, he was in the in, in, and I think what will actually happen is that they they'll um, probably return him. He only had 43 plate appearances in, in AAA uh, last year. And he's, and they, then he followed it up with a good appearance. Um, in, and I saw him at the fall league, and yeah, he was huge. Um, but um, uh, I think that they, they just got him into their system. And the Mexican leagues, even though they're listed as AAA on our site, are not quite. I mean, there's something different. They're almost like an independent league. Um, I, I don't know that they're like officially AAA. So uh, I think they'll want to see him against actual AAA pitchers. And I bet you they return him to the minors and start with Guzman and Wallace. Uh, give Guzman and Wallace like 150 plate appearances. They did this with everybody last year. Um, and if they, if they, you know, 150 plate appearances, a month and a half or so mm-hmm. going on, maybe Amador comes up before Singleton because there's no real reason to start Singleton's clock. And then Singleton is basically the third line, third in line, and comes up either in September or before September. 
I just I, I was chuckling because our our player page for Amador still has him listed as 220 pounds. <laughs> uh, his right leg maybe 220 pounds, but it is a good point about the 150 plate appearance rate because if we go back and look at when sample sizes become reliable, strikeout rate is 150 plate appearances. So that, that gives you enough. You're looking at it and say okay. By by then, you, your swing your swing percentage, your contact rate, and your strikeout rate are are reliable for hitters. So that's where we look at. It didn't seem like a lot of guys got right around 150, and then we're like, okay, thanks, but no thanks. Let's move on to the next one. Um, Altuve had a bit of a disappointing year last year, coming off uh, the the surprising 2012 to some. How do you view Altuve for 2014? Yeah, I don't uh, I don't see much difference. Um, I don't I don't think that I think he's pretty fairly steady. Um, you know, he's, uh, turning 24. So in terms of, uh, you know, age concerns, I don't think there are any really, uh, could he be considered pre-peak for power? Probably, you know, maybe he'll, uh, maybe he'll take a little bit harder swings. You know, he, he makes so much contact, uh, you know, 12, you know, 13% strikeout rate. He could actually swing a little harder maybe and, uh, and try to get 10, 15 homers, um, might cost him some batting average. Um, you know, who knows what that's worth. But if you if you pencil him in for 10, 280, you know, less than 10 homers and 30 stolen bases, I don't think uh, I don't think there's really – he seems like a safe – one of the few safe picks on this team. Yeah, the thing is, when I say disappointing, if you look at his, his roto counting categories, he was actually pretty much on in line with everything else last year. I mean, 35 steals were two more than the previous season. Uh, two fewer home runs. Uh, batting average is only a seven-point drop, but he did score uh, 16 fewer runs last year, just because of what was you know what was around him. But you know, you look at his OPS; it went from 740 to 678. So he, he got more playing time, but didn't really do anything with it. So uh, I I think they're going to continue to run. So I I like Altuve, and that's why I mentioned him earlier as, as a mixed league target because I still think 30 stolen bases is is absolutely. Uh, sustainable for him there everything else we'll see i think he can hit he's a two category player maybe two and a half but that's kind of where my cap is for him yeah um you know it's, it's a nice player you know i just it's hard to tell how excited people are about him it's one of those things where if people aren't excited about him then hell i'll take him but uh if people think he's a top three second baseman uh i don't think that i don't think that's there especially you know just the runs in rbi not there for him. Right, the, the last guy uh, offensively, uh, actually two more, but Matt Dominguez. You know, he, he ended up hitting 21 home runs last year. Uh, strikeout rate wasn't bad, but walk rate was rather low. And he's become an everyday player, and, and it's all pull power. You look at all 21 of his home runs; they are all to left field and a couple to left center. So it's extreme pull power. It does take advantage uh, of where he plays uh, in that regard. What are your thoughts on him? You know, we're working on a, on a new ex-BABIP right now, and, and uh, pool percentage is going to be a negative, uh, a negative factor in that. Um, and it's gonna, basically a proxy for, um, for uh, being shifted. So I think the more you pull the ball, the more uh, you get shifted. The more you get shifted, the more your batting average on balls of play goes down. Um, and uh, so I think he is a he is a target for shifters. So if you're looking at that uh, strikeout rate and thinking, well, oh, he has power and he has a decent strikeout rate, why doesn't he have a better BABIP? I think that the, that's probably the missing factor there is that he, gets, he pulls the ball a lot. So I wouldn't uh, pencil him in. You know, I guess the, the the projection systems are figuring that in with about a 265 BABIP. Um, that's fine. So if you if you don't need batting average, here he, here's another guy who seems like uh, he's not really a risk to lose his job. Uh, you know, the other guys on the team are risks in so many different ways. R- batting average risks, uh, strikeout risks, all these, and, and also risks to lose their job. The one nice thing you can say about Matt Dominguez is there may not be a lot of upside. He probably won't lose his job. I mean, there's not a, a third baseman that's going to take his job. He's a really good defender, and he has enough power that it makes makes sense to put him out there every day. Agreed with all with all points. Uh, so defensively, he definitely helps on that side of the field as well, just for uh, some pitching numbers. The other guy I wanted to mention was LJ Hose. Uh, I in a deep AL league, I'm willing to take him in reserve on on speculative speed. He stole 14 bases last year in roughly you know 600 plate appearances between AAA and the major leagues, but he stole seven in just a 
47 games with the Astros. One of the things that Hose has always been able to do is get on base. And with the Astros, they are aggressive with stealing bases because they know they have to manufacture runs to, to create them. So with Hose, he is right-handed, so he would be on the short side of the platoon, but he's somebody to keep an eye on to see uh, how he's used during spring training because I think there's some – uh, you know, sleeper speed source there issues. This is a guy who could maybe steal 15, uh, 15, 16 bags in part-time bit play. Yeah. He's an interesting player. I, you know, the, the worry about him uh, in, in, in real life is that uh, he plays a position that probably the top prospect George Springer is going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Springer can play center, but they got Fowler. Um, and uh, Hose also just doesn't have much power. You can see 62% on the ground. Uh, he's just not, he's a slap hitter. Doesn't, he hasn't shown a track record of power, has very, very little power. So, you know, the nice things I can say about Hose is I think that the strikeout rate will come down, the walk rate will come up, and he'll steal more bases. So I think, you know, in terms of on base percentage and batting average, you're going to see something similar to what he did last year, you know, where the Babbitt goes down, but everything else comes up. Um, and, you know, I think he could steal 15 to 20 bases given a full, full year. I just don't think he's going to get that. George, you know, basically the number one question in chats last year of anybody uh, doing fantasy or prospects was when is George Springer coming up? So I feel like, you know, everybody in the Astros organization is, is wondering when is George Springer going to come up? So, you know, Hose is just one of those guys you, they're looking at. The only thing that I can say is he used to play second. Um, so if they ever try to do something like get a ton of value for Altuve um, while they can and, and, and sort of rebuild maybe they're starting pitching prospects or, or kind of get more quantity um, for their quality in Altuve, they might be able to uh, push Hose to second. But I'm, I'm speaking a little bit uh, out of ignorance here. I don't know that he was a good second baseman um, or else he wouldn't have ended up in the corner outfield, I guess. You would think he would be there, you know, given all the issues that Baltimore had with second baseman when, when Brian Roberts was on the disabled list 36 exactly. times. Exactly. You would think that Hose would have had a chance, but he really never got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... That is where that is. Uh, let's move over to the pitching staff. Is there anybody that you actually like on this pitching staff before I speak to it? Uh, you know, I, I I know who you like, so uh, it's kind of hard to to say anything. I would I would say other than the two guys I know you like, uh, I don't like anybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start. one one that I didn't mention. Why I don't like you know for one for one uh, one guy that sort of uh, scratches. The surface is a little bit with people. Uh, people will recognize the name Brett Oberholzer. Um, I did a, a, a piece with him last year, um, and he, you know, came up, did 71 innings with a 2.8 ERA, and um, you know, a decent swinging strike rate and great control. You know, there's some uh, who might look at that and say, okay, I, I like that. But you know, the, the the piece was it was interesting because the piece was about his curveballs. Um, and he kind of has uh, one grip, uh, a curveball that he uses uh, to do a, a couple different things with. Um, um, but and I, and I enjoyed talking to him about that. But when I got home and, and looked it up, you know, all that stuff that he was talking about, they're terrible pitches. I mean, he he, he has he throws like two different curveballs. They're all bad. I mean, the the the, the whiff rate's bad. The the ground ball rate's bad. I, I, you know, for an important pitch for him, um, the curveball isn't good. So, you know, his sinker doesn't get 50% ground balls. You know, it doesn't even get close to 50% ground balls. So you're talking about a guy who has a decent change uh, and and not even a really good change, just a decent change up, and that's about it. So I I think Brett Holberholzer is uh, fool's gold for for, uh, drafts next year. Agreed with that. The one I also didn't care for, I didn't care for the addition of Scott Feldman. Uh, I get it. I know why you have to use Scott Feldman. But, you know, I, I he doesn't – he's had this issue where he's had trouble putting back-to-back good seasons together. It'd be He'll have a good one and then a bad one, and a good one and a bad one. He's got, the, the, as the guys at Rasball like to call it, the Saberhagen metrics going on. And this is one of those odd number years, but uh, one of those even number years that tend to be poor for him. He just hasn't been able to put – back-to-back good years together. And I'm just, I don't like him coming to that ballpark. I I don't think it's a a great fit uh, for him, the situation. So it's, he's a guy that I would look at if I'm in the only league, I'd look at him like, you know, $5 or later. If I'm going to draft him, it's going to be one of the final five rounds, that kind of thing. But he's going to be asked to front this rotation. 
but he's not a one or two or even a three in my mind. Yeah, and people, um, you know, kind of poo-poo that a little bit, uh, especially in the real-life baseball analysis. No one really cares about um, uh, pitching slots, but I do think that at least early in the season, the, the ones end up going up against the ones. So, um, you know, that means even fewer wins, and you weren't going to bank on wins from him anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he's a lesson in one of these things where, you know, there's certain – he does everything okay, but there's no standouts. There's no standout thing. There's no. There's no out pitch. There's no. Uh, you know, defining characteristic for him. I mean, when when um, when Swartz did uh, Sierra, um, you know, the one thing that that I thought was really interesting about Sierra was he said, you know, a 45, 46 percent ground ball rate is not really that great. You know, it's not. It, it doesn't. Um, it's not there's there's cascading returns once you get up to 50, 52, 55, 60. So the 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 extreme ground ball rate guys, they have lower babbits because their teammates are always expecting a ground ball and their the entire strategy is built around getting that ground ball. He's a guy that's, you know, 47% uh, career ground ball rate. It's it's okay. It's not great. Um, you know, his walk rate is pretty much league average. Uh, his strikeout rates below league average. So there's no, there's nothing to hang your hat on, you know? And I just, uh, I think it's blah and blah with a chance of risk, you know? So I, I don't really, I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't like that one either. The guy I do like in this situation, Brad Peacock, I thought he made some nice changes last year. Uh, it's something I wrote up uh, over the break. What, when he went down, you know, his first nine starts, he just got his brains bashed in. It just wasn't something that was working out well for him. They sent him down to AAA with a purpose, and basically it was get another pitch. He just needed to come up with something, and he came up with a slider. It's a pitch that really worked out well for him, and once he came back, it just was a it was a big difference for him. He just was able to get more swings and misses. And I'm looking at his numbers over the five, final nine outings of the season – Struck out one batter per inning, limited batters to a 287 weighted on base average, and had a 364 ERA. Left a few balls up, and they were hit for home runs in that park. But those numbers, he had an eight-something ERA over his first nine starts, and his weighted on base average was something like 365. Or no, I'm sorry, 419. It was that high. So he made some nice changes, added a pitch, and got better results. He's somebody that I actually like in an AL-only format. I may even consider taking him ahead of Feldman because of the strikeout potential. Yeah, uh, so uh, I'm really glad that you uh, that you like him because um, I don't. I'm not sure I would have looked closer to his numbers um, just because I have him put in that sort of part in my mind where I was like, you know, he's been traded twice. You know, there are all these flaws that that people talked about in those trades, and so I never really thought that Peacock was going to amount to much. Uh, but, you know, th- when he's been traded twice, that means two separate teams decided they wanted him. Um, and another thing that I, I when I look at these pitch peripherals, I think it's very interesting. It's, it's, it's great that you mentioned the slider because the slider actually gets the most whiffs uh, per pitch of any of his pitches. Uh, it's an above average pitch uh, by ground balls and by whiffs. It looks like a very good pitch. I'm surprised that it's a sort of new pitch for him because... That's that's maybe if I looked at these numbers, I would say that's his best pitch. But I do know from the past that Peacock's best pitch is supposed to be that curveball, um, and he gets it gets average whiffs above average ground balls. So that's a, a good pitch too. And I wonder uh, because when I look at his changeup, it is terrible. Yes, changeup. I mean, by by the numbers, is terrible. It gets a quarter of the whiffs it's supposed to get, and it gets a twenty five percent ground ball rate which is just horrid. And so I think, you know, maybe he'll be a better pitcher next year if he doesn't throw the change at all. And I wonder if, if you know, you know, he was at the Oakland, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, Oakland is one of these, everyone learned a change-up organizations. So I wonder if they taught him that. And also if you look at, let's say you had a guy who had a fastball curveball, you might say, okay, that guy needs something that breaks the other way. And so he needs, he needs a change-up. The, the problem is that Peacock actually has one of these huge um, overhand um, uh, sort of what are these what are they called the the big hump uh, curveballs twelve six curveballs yeah he just has those big old uh, curveballs it's it's got eight inches uh, vertical drop and eight inches of horizontal movement it's just a really big pitch 
And in the past, uh, according to this, I love this Platoon Splits article that I always go back to. Um, I mean, Max Marchi is just great. Yes, he is. Uh, and uh, he, what he said was the roundhouse, it's a roundhouse. The roundhouse curve has the second biggest reverse platoon split of any pitch. So, in essence, the roundhouse curveball functions like a changeup when it comes to platoon splits. Um, and so, basically, you know, the fact that he learned a slider and is now pitching better, um, I think that's that might make sense. You know, because the, the roundhouse curveball is something that he can use against um, batters of both hands, and it's it's more effective against lefties than against the righties. So it, it follows the, the narrative. Um, and... Uh, and so then he needed something that he could use against same-handed hitters. Uh, so I think if he just drops that changeup completely, um, especially if it's causing him any issues in terms of command or homers, it was had the worst homer rate of all his pitches. Just drop the changeup, be a four-seamer, you know, overhand curve and slider guy, and uh, and maybe he'll be a good pitcher next year. Here's the thing: I mentioned earlier how he just got his brains bashed in the first nine starts. Uh, you know the not having that second pitch, even though the curveball was good, his weighted on base average against lefties before his demotion was 506, and it was 315 against righties. So he had you mean drastic reliever splits. And once he had, once he had the slider and had that in play, things leveled off a little bit. He went uh, down to 330 versus lefties and 223 against righties. Righties had a particularly tough time with that slider. And that's weighted on base average. That's not batting average when I say those numbers. So he he ended up throwing 144 sliders when he got his when he came back up, only allowing seven hits, all singles. So people were having a really tough time picking up that pitch, and it worked very well for him. It's like his, his swing and miss rate was in the top 15th percentile. Yeah, I, I'd like a lot. That's why I think he's a nice fantasy sleeper in the AL only league because his overall numbers look bad. But focus on the halves and look at the improvement and process, and I think you got to find there. Uh, bullpen. They've added Jesse Crane. They've added Chad Qualls. They've added Anthony Bass. They've added Matt Albers. Um, Darren Downs. Who do you like for saves? Um, you know, I think I think you had it. I think you got it right. I think it's Qualls um, going in. And uh, the only the only guy that I think is interesting otherwise is maybe Fields. Uh, um, and the reason that uh, I think he's uh, interesting is that um, he they own him longer. And, uh, you know, if things do work out for him, um, then uh, I think that, uh, you know, that they'd prefer that. Um, and he has, you know, one good pitch maybe two i mean he, and he has a big big velocity so there's there's a possibility there that uh he could do it he really just needs to find a play a little bit yeah the thing with qualls i like qualls because he changed things back to what made him successful everybody remembers that line drive that he tried to snare and uh, when he landed he ended up dislocating his knee he admitted to changing his delivery to uh, alleviate pressure on that leg as he was pitching, and he wasn't able to finish off his slider. Didn't get up on the off, uh, get, didn't get over top his front side, so he was leaving pitches up, and they were getting crushed out of the park. He got down to Miami last year and said, "You know what? Screw it. I'm going back to the way I used to pitch," and, and brought his delivery back to where he was when he made himself successful. And you look at the swing rate on his on that slider, the whiff rate and everything, everything went back in line to where it was before his injury. And that's why when they made the signing, I was like, I love that move because high ground ball rate, so the ballpark uh, effects are negated, and the swing and miss stuff should play very well. I think he's a nice – everybody was looking at saves last year and saying, Jose Vera, so he can't do it. He ended up getting 21 saves before he was flipped over. And I maintain if Kevin Gregg can get 30 saves for a team, then anybody can get 30 saves for a team. And I like Chad Qualls to get 20-plus saves in 2014. Definitely, definitely, and I think he's um, he's actually one of the few uh, mixed league uh, mixed league guys that uh, you know mixed league guys on this team. So uh, you know, I don't think uh, as much as you know, we said some nice things about Peacock. I'm not sure he's a mixed leaguer. So you know, you're probably looking at Qualls and Altuve uh, in your drafts next year, and Castro, of course. Oh uh, yeah, you know, I, I think we talked about Castro before. But, I think we uh, have. I I love the kid. Yeah, I think uh, he's. I think he's uh, really nice in that um, he, he's got the sort of uh, Vatoian 
uh, approach to baseball where he really thinks hard about what he wants to happen and the sort of connection between what he's doing at the plate and, and his outcome. So um, I really think that, uh, you know, he told me that he he wa- always had a line drive stroke, always was, con- was thinking about line drives and getting on base and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but that he wanted, he, last year he added a little bit of loft to his swing and that's what he wanted to do. And he did it on purpose. And so he had a little more power. So I kind of like him for like a 280 ish, uh, 18 homer season again. Yeah. I, definitely in line with all of that. Let's, uh, shift well up north of the border and let's talk about Toronto and their fantasy aspects of the year. I think the very first guy that comes to mind is the guy that everybody loved last year uh, and were quite disappointed early on, but then he turned his fortunes around in Brett Laurie. What are your thoughts about him? I actually, I'm a, I'm a fan. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, sometimes you get a player um, that just pisses you off that you did, that you kind of touted or you were into and then it didn't work out and then people mock you for it, you know? Never happens. Uh, never. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of listeners are going, Lucas Duda. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I just want everyone to know for the millionth time, Lucas Duda was supposed to be a dollar pick. So don't, don't come yelling to me about how you spend $10 on him. Uh, anyway, um, uh, Brett Lowry to me actually it, it was a little bit worse than Lucas Duda because I loved Brett Lowry everywhere, everywhere um, going into uh, his first year and his second year um, in Toronto. And the first year, I was sort of rewarded a little bit. The second year, I was taunted uh, by his production. Um, and and I, I have not – I try really hard not to turn around and hate these players uh, because you can be in a year early on a guy. And so I'm, I'm convincing myself that I was a year early on Laurie and that he's still only 24. He still has a great contact rate. He still has, um, I would say, a baseline league average power with uh, upside for more. And he still steals bases, even if they're not, even if he's not super good at it, he still steals them. So um, I'm, I'm penciling my personal projection for him is 280, 15, 15. Um, and, you know, with a little bit of bounce back in the lineup, he can, he can be a good uh, runs and RBI contributor. Um, that, to me, is definitely a top 12 uh, third baseman. And, and I just did an industry mock, and I picked him as the 12th third baseman, and I feel like he has upside above that a little bit. So uh, I, think he's a, I think he's an interesting pick this year. So I'm in an industry mock right now. We are 67 picks into it, and Brett Larvey has not gone yet. Uh, that would not have been the case last year. I know he went as high as $28 in AL Tout Wars, and I want to say he was going in the top 40. So that's where the that's where the group of experts that I'm drafting with right now in a mock draft view him. Uh, when I look at him. In the second half of the season, he got back to where he realistically should be. I mean, a lot of people got so excited about the way Larry performed in his, you know, when he first came up and, and kind of lost realist, uh, a realistic view of what he should be able to do. Second half of last year hit 283, six home runs, 32 runs driven in, stole seven bases. That works. I mean, if just double the numbers, they're still a little below power for third baseman. But I think we'd all take a third baseman that hit 12 home runs and stole 14 bags. Uh, and, and hit 283. So that works out well. I just think it, it with Larby involves level setting your expectations on, on what to expect from him and realizing that that one season, while it was all fine and dandy and fun, was just a bit too much with him. And I, I was ready to write him off. I was getting a little bit of uh, – I wasn't very hyped. I was avoiding him last year because of all the helium going into him. But at the same time, he got to a point where I was ready to write him off. And I'm looking at right now at the NFBC – he is going 10th off the board, and he's been taken as high as 114th in drafts. He's got a 149 ADP right now, just behind Machado and Seager and just ahead of uh, Headley and Aramis Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval. I'd take him over Machado, actually. I mean, Yeah, but I would, too. There's no guarantee Machado comes back um, for a full six months, and uh, uh, Machado wasn't stealing bases, and I, you know, I take the over – uh, I, would, I take Brett Lowry's batting average over Machado's because Machado's had an infield fly ball program, problem his whole his whole life. So, um, you know, in a lot of ways, they're kind of similar, uh, you know, guys that could give you five categories. Um, but, um, you know, I, uh, I, I'll i just take Lowry. I think also 
you know, whatever adjustments are in Machado's future, um, I think that maybe they're in Lowry's past. I mean, th- this last year, he had a, it was a definitely a tale of two halves where the beginning, uh, the beginning of the season, he was striking out 30% of the time and just looked awful. I think there was some point where he had like a 2% walk rate and a 30% a strikeout rate. And everyone was wondering what the heck's going on. Then you look up at the end of the season, and he's got his customary um, sort of average-ish uh, walk rate and better-than-average strikeout rates. So, you know, guy who puts the ball in play, has league average power, and has speed, that normally turns into a good batting average. So um, I, 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 I'm, I'm looking at those steamer projections, 275, 19 homers, 14 stolen bases, and I think there's, uh, there's upside beyond and those are pretty decent numbers myself. Even if he doesn't reach the upside, those are still good numbers. Yeah, exactly. Third base. Uh, now, uh, in Toronto, it's basically all about, you know, when fantasy players go there, it's all about the, the two Bash brothers, essentially, Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Bautista. Encarnacion uh, currently has an ADP of 19. He's been taken as high as 12 in the NFBC. Bautista is at 43 and has been taken as high as 29. That same industry mock that I, I mentioned earlier – Encarnacion went 14th in this, uh, to nobody's surprise, to Corey Schwartz, and then went uh, Bautista went 34th. How do you view these two big guys? Yeah, in the mock, uh, the industry mock that I led, uh, Encarnacion went 20, um, and uh, Bautista went 41. So it uh, looks like uh, it's fairly consistent that Encarnacion is sort of end of the, the beginning of the first, the second round. And uh, Bautista is uh, somewhere in the fourth round. Um, and uh, that's, uh, I, you know, I guess that makes sense. Uh, Bautista has been, um, uh, has had worse health problems and, and is, is usually good for a worse batting average. Um, and uh, so, and he's outfold only at this point. So, um, yeah, I, I understand that there's a difference between them. I might take Bautista later. Uh, just because I think that their upsides might be closer than their their drafting spots. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, what always entertains me is if you talk to the average baseball fan, they're more scared when Jose Bautista's at the plate than Edwin Encarnacion. But over the last two seasons, Encarnacion's been the better producer. And that's what. And when you look at him, it's been his strikeout rate is low for a guy that hits with his type of power. I mean, thirty six home runs last year in a ten percent strikeout rate. That's very rare to find these days. His walk rate was 13%. Uh, there's there's low risk to this guy. I mean, he's had 620 plate appearances, uh, at least that many, in back-to-back seasons, at least 36 home runs. He's driven in over 100 runs in both seasons. And, oh, yeah, he's thrown in 20 stolen bases over the past two seasons. So I don't have a problem with him being taken in the first round. I know people sometimes may call me a homer because I've long been a big supporter of him. But – you look at the consistent over the last the production over the last two years, and I challenge you to find somebody more consistent than he, than him, he, than Encarnacion. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I guess the the question is a little bit the wrist. He had the wrist surgery at the end of the season, um, and then you know I think a lot of people still remember the old days when he was a higher strikeout, lower batting average guy. Uh, but that's a little bit unfair because he made a big um, swing adjustment in uh 2011 and um and it it was as simple i think as keeping his uh, top hand on the bat all the way through the swing um but it probably had a lot to do also with pitch selection just judging from his play discipline so yeah i mean you know he's uh he is good um i just always want to pay less and get the same you know (laughs) yeah there's no Uh, there's no paying less with him I remember taking him in the second round last year, and every year it's like some point I, I end up trying to get him or I end up I'll have him in the league. But yeah, there's no there's no value in him anymore. Those days are long gone. Uh, if you want him, you're going to have to pay for him. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? Actually, you know, looking at the end of the first round in my draft, um, there, you know, I I actually I think that. He's a good value where he's he's at, you know, just in terms of who he's up against. I mean, um, you know, at, at 14 in our draft was Prince Fielder. And uh, I kind of doubt that Prince Fielder is going to get the crazy um, boost uh, from Texas that a lot of people are, you know. I've seen people, you know, speculating that he'll hit 40 to 50. Um, I think he'll get a more modest boost. And, and, and you know, if you, had to, if you had to choose one just for homers, 
Who's going to hit more homers next year, Encarnacion or Prince Fielder? Encarnacion. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and who has a better strikeout rate year in, year out is Encarnacion. So, you know, those two things kind of suggest to me that Encarnacion's a better bet than Prince Fielder at the back end of the, the, the first round. The other guys Encarnacion will be up against, uh, Adrian Beltre. That's a little bit harder to do because he plays third base, but Beltre's pretty old. Um, so there could be a year when he, you know, loses a hundred plate appearances to an injury. Um, there's Jacoby Ellsbury, who's kind of a, a wide variance guy. Um, there's gotta be, you gotta factor in injury risk with him too. So, you know, I think Edwin Encarnacion is a, is a, a solid, safe, safe type pick, uh, at the end of the first round. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, moving on, shifting over to the other side. I'm where my thing here go. Sorry about that. Uh, second base still seems like a black hole. It's Ryan Goings and, uh, my serious tourists. I don't think there's fantasy value of, of much either right there. Jose Reyes coming. I'm a little jaded on him because I paid for him last year in my AL only league local. I still won the league, but I went into that league and I bought Jacoby Ellsbury and Jose Reyes. Cause I had no speed. I had a lot of power and no speed. So I bought those two. And Jose Reyes really irritated me. I ended up winning the league, but I had to trade every single keeper piece I had to hold my lead that slowly dwindled the rest of the year. Uh, and I'm sure you as a Mets fan are a bit jaded on Jose Reyes too. So why don't you offer up your jaded out view or, or uh, <laughs> purpose or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, the opinion. thing that's funny about, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I actually, some of my fondest memories of being, um, some of my fondest memories of 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 being at City, just watching the Mets play, was Jose Reyes with the Dreads legging out a triple. I mean, uh, it's just it was you know the triple is so exciting anyway, and just the Dreads flying and uh, just the excitement of exuberance that he plays the game with. Um, but uh, I think I've, I've I've dealt with most of those demons a long time ago when I was yelling at the Mets uh, for not trading him halfway through that season. Um, his last season with the Mets, I really think they should have traded him that year. They weren't. I didn't think they were going to resign him, and they didn't resign him. They didn't get anything for him really. Um, so I um, I uh, I've, I've conquered my Jose Reyes demons, and um, I think that he can be a decent value. But the the, the fact that he had an ankle injury um and that he stole so few he attempted so few stolen bases um even in 400 plate appearances um says to me that the stolen bases are going to start to drop off and i'm seeing him drafted in in my industry mock he went uh 27th uh and i think that's too high i think that's too high uh because there are there are some decent shortstops later there's you know there's you know segura went uh 12 spots later. That doesn't make any sense to me. In mine, Reyes went 20. Segura went 63. That what? what? I, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand that at all. I don't understand that at all because, I, I mean, we, we, we've looked at Segura's batted ball distance, and it's good. It's, it was good, and he's in a, in a hitter's park. And we're, we're talking about the difference between 8 and 12 homers anyway, right? So – and, and 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 we and we did a, a stolen base aging curve this year, and it was just for stolen bases. And you just watch stolen bases drop off from the beginning of your career to the end. They just you you feel you steal fewer and fewer bases every year. It's just a fact. So why take the old version of the new guy? Take the new guy. <laughs> NFBC Segura's got the higher ADP. He's going twenty eight. Reyes is going thirty eight. Okay. So I think that makes more sense. Um, and if if I was presented with a draft. Uh, where I missed him, Segura, or I didn't want to spend all that much money on Segura, and I wanted to spend a little bit less on my shortstop. You know, Reyes starts to make sense for me, you know, because in this draft, uh, 38 um, was Segura, <laughs> or 39 was Segura, but uh, 40 was Holiday. So if I'm looking at Jose Reyes versus Matt Holiday, I think I would actually take Jose Reyes just because the positional value, the chance at a decent season if he stays healthy. You know, Matt Holliday is older himself, even though he's he's aged very well. He doesn't have any stolen base value left, and he's pretty much just a batting average with like 20 homers kind of guy these days anyway. 
So, you know, if it, the choice is between Matt Holiday and Jose Reyes, that's fine. If the choice is between Jose Reyes and Shinsu Chu or Yu Darvish, um, I think I'm not taking Jose Reyes up there. So when I get to the when I get to my industry mock, I'm looking at Reyes. The picks, the three, the five picks after him were Stanton, Kipnis, Wright, Puig, and Chu. And I would take all five of those guys all day long over Reyes, especially yeah. Kipnis. In mine, well, yeah, Kipnis went 19 in mine, and I would have taken him if I, if he come back to me at 24. So uh, ours it was Jose Reyes at 27, and then it was Bruce. Darvish, Posey, Lee, Desmond, and Puig. Uh, kind of funny that Puig went uh, after him in both. I I would take all of those. I, and Desmond is a shortstop, so I would take all of those guys ahead of Reyes. So anyway, it seems we're in agreement on that. Um, you know, we don't have to hate the player or, 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 or you know, be unreasonable about him to, to peg him a little bit lower for his uh, age issues and his injury issues. Yes. Uh, speaking of injury issues and age issues – Melky Cabrera, do you expect anything from him coming back from the mess that was 2013? Yeah, I I, I hate to do too much steroid uh, speculation, uh, but uh, it just looks way too much like uh, the pre-Giants, pre-Royals um, Melky Cabrera to, to, to not say anything about that. So, um I, I think that's who you got. You got a guy who's going to hit 280, uh, you know, hit eight to ten homers and steal three to five stolen bases. I mean, I liked him. I, I thought it was going to be a nice fit for the ballpark. But you know, when he, when you hear spinal surgery, that <laughs> scares the crap out of me. I, I actually liked him as a sleeper last year. I thought it could work out, uh, but. I usually like targeting these guys, but I don't know if I want to even spend a dollar. The spinal surgery thing scares the crap out of me. Well, at least – actually, you know, in his defense, at least it wasn't like a slip disc or something. It wasn't back surgery. Uh, it was a tumor. So, you know, maybe it's just a mass that they took out. You know, if you're talking about it, not a dollar in a mixed league, but if you're talking about AL labor dollar – all of a sudden, those it's really actually it's really hard to find dollar players in in a, in a thing like AL labor. Um, I mean, it was a twelve team AL only league with five outfielders. I mean, that's more outfielders than start in the major leagues. So, you know, to take a to to actually get Melky for a dollar in that situation, I'd be okay with that. But that's about the only one. Fair enough. Fair enough on him. Um... Anthony Ghost is still in play here. A lot of speed. I just don't know if it's ever going to be a fantasy relevance. I don't know if he's ever going to hit enough um, to make that valuable. Do you disagree? Yeah, I mean, he, he he made strides to get his strikeout rate to 24%, um, which would be good, except he had to be so aggressive to do that that he lost all his walk rate, and he stole four bases in 150 plate appearances. It, it's a very, very strange thing for a guy who two years ago stole 69 bases and 76 bases combined in 2011. So, um, you know, I, I, the one thing that I, one bias I have a little bit in fantasy uh, versus real, real, real uh, versus re, real baseball. We're both having a tough time today. <laughs> <laughs> versus real baseball is that I, I don't like strikeouts uh, in fantasy. Um, strikeouts are just negatively correlated with, uh, with batting average. They, they, uh, don't allow your player to run into runs in RBI, which are not really real life concerns, but are a concern for people who play fantasy. So it's just, I, w- I would rather have lower strikeout rates. I'd love to have a team full of low strikeout rates, um, which is, you know, why you, you sort of convinced me on Encarnacion. That was, that was great. But, um, you know, for Ghost, it's like a guy, he's a slap hitter, hasn't really shown the ability to walk like he did in the minor leagues and the major leagues, and you're probably looking at striking out a quarter of the time. So, you know, VR-type strikeout rate, but then hasn't really, you know, last year didn't show the ability to steal bases like VR did. So, And he, do, and he plays the outfield where VR plays shortstop. So, you know, all these things, uh, you know, make VR a much better risk pick in this sort of, uh, space. Agreed. Uh, the last offensive guy I'd like to talk about there. I mean, Adam, we know Adam Lind, he's made it, it looks like, speaking of back issues, that he's been able to write himself and, and fix himself. He's a rather stable guy, but I'd, I'd caution people 
on Deanna Navarro. He's coming off a year where he hit 13 home runs and part-time play for Chicago. And you're thinking, okay, great. Now he's going to Rogers Center where the ball flies out as well. Maybe with more playing time, he's going to hit more home runs. His home run to fly ball ratio last year was 18%. The previous three years, if you add up the percentages, don't even get to 18%. I mean, this is not a guy. He ran into a lot of windy days in Chicago last year. I I don't see him hitting more than 10 next year, even in more uh, full-time playing ability. For whatever reason, he found a success last year. They had a 365 OBP, pulled that out of his butt. But this is this is not who he is. I've seen him play for several years, and I've still watched him. And I was stunned what he pulled out of his butt last year. But that's not happening in 2014. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I can't I can't speak on that uh, myself. But uh, you know, I think that there's uh, there's there's uh, you know Adam Lind is is uh, okay. I mean, for a corner infield for a, for a deeper league, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he does. He hits with the power. He's fine there. It's just really how much, how well he handles lefties. It's been a problem for him in the past, uh, and he's been able. It, it, it's been an extreme problem for him at times. But yeah, you know, last year it was. You know, it is what it is for him. He doesn't hit him that well, but he. It's not as bad. People may think back to 2010 when he. I think he was five for a hundred against him or something like that. <laughs> it was really bad. He hit like a buck twenty against lefties. So it's it's not terrible uh, what he's doing these days. But as long as he hits righties, like last year he hit righties 309, 924 OPS, 20 home runs against. I mean, I'll take that all day long. Uh, that works out well. It just as long as that back can stay healthy. We saw in 2012. When it's not healthy, he doesn't hit. He just can't get it done. So as long as that back stays healthy and the fact that he's playing DH most of the time should help keep things in good shape. Yeah, and he, he's really cheap uh, from what I've seen. Uh, he went something like, uh, uh, let me see here. He went uh, 264 in our in our draft in the 19th round. Wow. So almost on a bench round in, in, in a league that had corner infield. So I think there's some chance for arbitrage there, um, you know, depending on how cheap he is. So. Yeah, his ADP went NFBC. He's going behind Justin Morneau, Corey Hart. That's ridiculous. That's an, if, if his ADP is 235 in this league, that's, that's a nice, nice bargain. Uh, I would take him over Morneau, over Hart, over Ryan Howard, over Nick Swisher. These are all names that are in front of him. I think right now he's being severely undervalued. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's because of uh, you know, the, I guess people are are thinking upside in these other, in the I took I actually took Ryan Howard a couple spots above Lind, but I was looking at both, uh, and and if, in defense of people who don't take Lind, I do think that he's a little bit vanilla, and um, you know, if you're looking at Morneau, you're thinking, oh gosh, you know, Colorado, it's gonna be great, and if you're looking at someone like Ryan Howard, you're thinking, oh, you know, maybe he could just be healthy. So, and Adam Lynn does not have much upside, but no. you know, there's a lot to be said for kind of steady Eddie and, and let me just plug that guy in. Exactly. That's how a guy like Larry Schechter keeps winning tout wars, drafting those types. Uh, the pitching staff on the starting pitching side, is there anybody here that piques your interest? Well, I have a, you know, longstanding sort of friendship with, with R.A. Dickey and, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, as he told me halfway through the year that his, his back was keeping him from throwing the hard knuckler. And then he kind of uh, he his back finally got better. And then he had a, a really good second half, um, uh, 356 ERA in the second half. And you, know, you see the velocity on his knuckler go up and his strikeout rate went up. His walk rate went down. So um, I think that uh, health is it's it's funny that to say this because uh, you think that a, a knuckler can pitch forever, but he's a little bit different than a lot of the other knuckleballers in that he has to throw the hard one. And, um, you know, when he's not throwing the hard one, he's not as exciting. He's, he's He looks a little bit more like Wakefield when he's not throwing the hard knuckler, which is, you know, a 4-2 ERA, 4-4 ERA, a lot of homers, um, and uh, just overall sort of under-replacement fantasy-wise. But... Um, you know, at 38, he, he, he says he throws 75% with 75% effort. So at 38, 75% effort, I feel like he could, um, you know, if with a good healthy year, he could actually, you know, be another sub four ERA guy with some good strikeout totals, you know, six and a half to seven per nine, you know, decent strikeout totals. 
and be a good fourth, fifth starter, even in mixed leagues. Yeah, I still like Dickey. I still think there's some value there with him. Obviously, as you said, without without the high velocity knuckleball, it just wasn't the same for him. It, it, he was he was very Wakefield esque, as you said. With that, I this is one of the problems where you write for multiple places. I was trying to think of. I, I wrote an article about this, looking at the numbers to see where the step up was, and I can't find it. But just looking at first, second half strikeout rates because we know the velocity was right. It picked up right around the All Star break. Strikeout rate went from 17% up to 22%. Walk rate dropped three percentage points. And that was it. That was really it just the swing and miss came back in his game. His slash line, first and second half slash lines were rather even. Uh, his OPS was 744 in the first, 705 in the second. It just he got that swing and miss strikeout rate back into his game. So I still like him. I, I'm not willing to pay more, I'm not willing to pay double digits for him in an auction, and I'm not willing to take him in the top 15 rounds in a draft, but I still like him. But he's really the only guy in that starting staff, the way it projects now with Brandon Morrow, who I'm done with, Mark Burley, who doesn't offer much upside because he's the two-category guy. Uh, Hap, we don't know where he's at. Hutchinson had good reports when we were at in the AFL, but again, how much can he hold up? Espiel Rogers is a guy like an AL-only league, uh, and that's it. Uh, you know, the only name that you haven't mentioned is uh, Marcus Stroman. Um, and, you know, there were some who who thought he would be a future reliever, but the, the team itself has, has said that they're going to keep him at starter as long as they can. That makes sense. And with the Jays in in specific and all teams in general, you, you sort of need your six and seven starters. So Stroman isn't a guy I would uh, draft unless it was a dynasty league um, and, and maybe a deeper one at that. Uh, but Stroman is a guy I think will be relevant this year. And it's sort of like Todd Redmond. Those, those two guys um, are probably the sixth and seventh guys right now. I think um, I think we'll see we'll see about what happens. I mean, if Rodgers could go back to the bullpen, that's where he was. Um, and if he, if that happens and Hutchinson makes the rotation, then Stroman and Redmond are sixth and seventh. Um, you know, with Redmond probably being the sixth, but Stroman being right there. And and you know. 40% of all starters hit the DL in a given year. So there really is a chance to go seven deep. And Stroman looked really great in the fall league, I thought. I, I thought he had uh, three really nice pitches, velocity, control. Uh, I think he has everything he needs to be a starter other than, you know, stature. Agreed. I, I think with the best, if you were to throw Stroman in there, so the other six names that I mentioned, throw him in there, throw all those names up in the air, whichever way they landed on the ground is what the rotation order would be behind Dickey, and I'd be fine with it. I think I could take, you mentioned Redman and Stroman, I think I could make a case for taking them over the others because, you know, Brandon Morrow, he just continues to break down, just doesn't hold up everything. And Burley, we've already talked about what his issues are and such, so I just don't like these guys. I really like their bullpen, though. I think they've got a lot of high-quality things uh, in their bullpen, which is great uh, and also bad. If you're thinking about closer, Casey Jansen's definitely handled the role well, but Santos looked fantastic once he came back last year. Steve Delabar throws well. They've got some arms in there, so if, Canson, if Jansen does slip up, uh, I don't think he will, but he does have good skills. But S Santos looked phenomenal when he came back. You look at his rates, his swing and miss, it was right back to where things used to be. So, uh, And they're paying him a lot of money. So it's a heavy, hefty role for him to be a setup guy. But I think that, that battle, Jansen, that, that's going to be a battle in camp. We'll see which way it goes. I don't think he's the, the lock-solid closer right now. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that I would value Jansen as a, as a, as a definite closer next year. And one of the one of the things is, is he's one of these guys that command uh, helps him play up um, his stuff. It, it's not wipeout stuff. And, you know, we we talked about it some. He definitely is really good at finding the edge of the strike zone, almost like a Glavin thing where he finds the edge of the strike zone and tries to push it and tries to push it and tries to push it. And that's uh, it's a recipe for success for sure, but it isn't what people expect out of their closer. And, you know, if – if a guy gets on, then all that sort of thing gets harder. So, you know, obviously his his really good command uh, helps him keep people off the bases. But, you know, if, if he comes on with people on, you know, that's a little bit different situation. They're not, you know, his runners, but they are his what he has to deal with. So I think that Jansen has overplayed his stuff, has over has overperformed his stuff, and that Santos is the stuff guy. Um, and, uh, you know, for most of the time – you know, in 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 
when it comes to starting pitchers, I might take Jansen if these were two guys that had similar profiles. But in the bullpen, I think that uh, stuff wins out even more often, especially when it comes to closing. Agreed. So if even if we go into even if we go into the season and they say that Jansen is the closer, I'm still going to make room. I, I if I don't draft, I usually take you know two closers and some kind of middle reliever when I'm in an AL only format to grab. Santos is going to be that guy. If he doesn't have that job, I'm going to take him anyhow because the strikeouts are going to be there. He should help the ratios. And if something were to happen to Jansen, injury, ineffectiveness, the Jays fall out of it and they trade Jansen, that kind of thing. I want to have Santos because he's the kind of guy every year we see, you know, 30, 35% of closers lose their job at some point. You just have to look at Toronto. And as you said, stuff eventually plays out. Something can happen. And Santos could have that job. And I just really like what he did last year. He looked fantastic coming back um, from the pretty severe arm injury. Yeah. And, and for what it's worth, Delabar is great too, but um, you know, just doesn't really corral command the stuff uh, the same way. So I think Santos is definitely the handcuff there and either handcuff him or, or take a shot at, at trying to get the, the, the bullpen roll with the cheaper guy with Santos. So there's definitely some, some chance for arbitrage there. Indeed. Anything else with the uh, Astros and the Blue Jays before we call it a show? Well, uh, we be if, if if our listeners have any questions, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll respond to them the next time. Yeah, please use the comment section like you did to let us know that uh, the audio wasn't working for you all in '84. Again, we're working on that. Hopefully, this one will play and we'll get that one corrected. In the meantime, just please click the download uh, download link on the post. It will open up the MP3 file for you, so you should be able to play it. Uh, if Actually, not, we have breaking know. news on that. I think uh, our dark overlord, uh, D- uh, David Appleman, has fixed uh, the last episode, and he has told us what to do going forward. So hopefully that won't be a problem again. Excellent. I love dark overlords. We bow before you. <laughs> All right. Uh, so next uh, episode, what is our alphabetical order so we can get it right this time? Who are we talking about next time? Uh, let's see here. I think we should be talking about um, – Baltimore and Boston, right? No, because we're going by team name. Oh, yes. Uh, so let's see here. I'm going to sort it by team name. So Braves and Brewers. Sweet. Yes, I had to do that with my computer. <laughs> <laughs> there we go but thank you for to for everybody for not pointing out our previous mistake we we love that we actually had to catch that ourselves so thanks for not embarrassing us so uh, with that please uh send your feedback in and we will uh, talk with you guys next week